Hi everyone, it's Mal. And this is AJ here with Multi, and we're here to give you the mole tea. Get it? <laughs> to give some context, we are both the founders of a soon-to-launch wellness brand, Multi, which is making wellness simple. And we create biomimetic, science-forward essentials that connect the dots between internal and external health. We're a wellness brand inspired by you, created with you, and that includes you. This right here is an inside look at how we're building and launching a wellness startup. Hello to everyone, whoever is listening. We are here today and I am Mal. I am the CEO, co-founder of Multi. I'm AJ and I'm the Chief Scientific Officer here at Multi. And I am Nina. I am one of the co-founders of Multi. And we are here today to spill the multi. This is episode one. This is technically chapter one of this series that we are recording, which is going to be sharing our experience in building and going towards launching a wellness startup and also give some insight just in terms of the business things behind all of the process. And also the reality behind building it, because this shit is hard and it is not easy. Let's talk about the beginning of multi, a precursor to multi becoming multi. I was thinking about creating something in the menstrual space. And at the time, Nina and I were hanging out a lot. We It was post-blue being born. <laughs> <laughs> we were hanging out a lot in Vancouver. And at the time, I was thinking of potentially building something in the menstrual space. As time went on, that idea and that concept transformed and became something within the wellness space, something that combined skincare, supplements, body care, personal care, because I do feel like wellness is something that is holistic. And I wanted to create something in that space. And I guess that brings into conversations with Nina, because at the time we were hanging out quite a lot, it was post COVID. And we started talking about building things. And also, I think, well, Nina, I guess you can touch on what what it is that you remember from that time, it was talking a lot about ways that we could build wealth for our families. And just as women in the world. Yeah, so I feel like when we were hanging out during that time, I was very in my like post baby, like feeling really motivated, but also like, okay, have all of this energy and things that I want to do. Um, So I, at that time you were working on your menstrual project that was potentially going to turn into a company. And then I was also working on building something else as well. And I think that's kind of what we bonded over and just speaking so much about what it's like growing up children of immigrants and like wanting to create generational wealth and what that could look like. And at that point, it was just like, okay, I'm building my thing, you're building your thing, and we're connecting. And that was like really cool because we had like a lot of hangouts, but they were also work dates. And then I remember you telling me about wanting to do something in the wellness space. And I was like, wait, I was like, wait, that sounds really cool. So then I remember you left it was just like, okay, like that sounds really cool. And then I remember texting you and I was like, hey, like, so about what you mentioned, if you want any help, like I'm down. Like, I don't, I I didn't even know what that would look like when I texted you that. I was just like, that sounds really cool. I want to be involved in some capacity. So just let me know. And obviously you didn't want to step on any toes and didn't know like where you were at in terms of wanting to involve other people. But I was like, yeah, you know, you have to ask for what you want. <laughs> and so you were like, we actually. And so then the next time we hung out, we actually talked more about what this could possibly be. And I remember that conversation because Dayon was there. <laughs> 
and we were sitting, well, I guess this was maybe two conversations after, because I feel like we probably talked about the concept a little bit and what it could potentially be. Because at that time, I was also doing research on product and product pricing and all that kind of stuff. So trying to figure out, okay, if we actually build something in this space, would it be profitable? Because as with any business, it does have to be in order for it to survive. But eventually we got to a conversation where it was basically like asking if we were going to be official. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember that. Like, so are you? Like, are you feeling me like I'm feeling you? Are we going to do this? Are we do? Are we doing this? Because like neither of us really said it. We were just like, we're really excited. (laughs) Yeah. But also I think because we like had no, I guess like we had no idea what even at that point, what would working Mm -hmm. on it actually look like. Yeah. So then we were like, okay, let's do this. (laughs) We started like scheduling meetings. And yeah. Yeah, I remember feeling really excited because I I could feel that the energy about it that we both felt Mm -hmm. towards it was very exciting. Mm -hmm. And I had literally no idea what to predict. And I had no idea that it would turn into this, that it would turn into multi. But it was just like this really exciting thing that I was like, we get to be a part of and we get to build. And it was really just like a lot of unknowns, but trusting the feeling that like Mm -hmm. this feels right. And so at the time we were, or I was working on a bunch of things with my friend and we had been collaborating on a project and I really, I was curious if she wanted to be involved. And at that time she was open to being, and so we were circling around names. And so for those of you who don't know, Multi is formerly known as Stunt. Multi was not the name. But eventually we came to the the reality that we didn't want to continue on with that name for multiple reasons. We didn't want to use a name because we just felt like it was really appropriative of Black culture. And at the time, it was Nina and I primarily working on the brand. And so we just didn't feel comfortable with using that name. We loved the logo. The logo was fire. It looked sick. And it fit together so well. However, we decided to, even though the logo is cute, to change the name. But that's just a little bit about the name. But as we were building the business, we knew we were going to be making wellness products. So we knew that we wanted to custom formulate. We knew we didn't want to have things that were just white label. And I really, really wanted to have somebody on our team who could head product development and that was their passion and that was what they were about and that was what they wanted to do. And so I actually started looking on Twitter for somebody. (laughs) And then came AJ. And then came AJ. (laughs) That leads into AJ. But it was, yeah, just really, really important for us as as I started doing a lot of research on a lot of different brands, the importance of having somebody who knew the science behind all the products was really, really important and really a big priority, especially somebody who aligned with us in terms of values and just in terms of the mission behind everything that we were doing, like really wanting to shake up the space, really wanting to innovate, really wanting to be at the forefront of changing the ways that people do things with formulation and who is behind the formulation. So I searched on Twitter. (laughs) I was searching for a chemist or maybe someone who was like a medical practitioner, but honestly, I preferred somebody who was a chemist. And I was searching and I stumbled across somebody's Twitter. The Twitter (laughs) account was AJ is writing. It still is. And and it's still, it's at AJ is writing. (laughs) Quick plug. And... (laughs) 
and I crept the account. And before I even messaged you, AJ, I already had done a deep dive on your Twitter. I think I just like kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And then I screenshotted it and I sent it to Nina. And I was like, I think I found somebody. And what resonated with me in finding AJ was one, that she seemed brilliant. She seemed like she knew her shit. She had, was just starting a lab called Sula Labs, which is now thriving. massive and thriving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop. Um, but I remember I was creeping you and then I found like a random link in one of your tweets. And then I went on a deep dive and I'm like, oh my gosh, she has her own R&D lab. And it was something that was at its very, very beginnings, which is so cool to have seen unravel. But I really thought that we just aligned in values and that was probably the most important thing just because I feel like we would need to see eye to eye on like the the core ethics and morals of what we're doing so then I cold emailed AJ can't remember what I said in that email I don't know if you remember (laughs) 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 but I think I asked something or said something like hey I've crept your work I really love what you're doing would love to chat I don't even know if I said to formulate or anything like that, but then she responded. I think actually you reached out particularly for like creating content around formulation and I was down. Mm. Um, And then like that eventually transitioned into you being like, actually, you know, we do need, (laughs) we do need someone. (laughs) So yeah, it was interesting because it was at the time I was just leaving my job. I quit my job in clinical research and development and formulation at a medical grade skincare company. And it was literally, I think, like the week after I quit that Mal had reached out, which was perfect. Also, owning an R&D, that's, like, that's a strong <laughs> claim for that time. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, it was true. It still is true. But yeah, it was just very serendipitous. And then we just kept going. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone wondering how we met, it, oh, I guess like a little backpedaling. Nina and I knew each other from Vancouver. So we had known each other before that. And then we we came together. And then for AJ, it was Twitter, social media. It was the internet. <laughs> New age romance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But then after I guess a couple of times I was talking to AJ, we then, well, we got on a couple of Zooms that were group Zooms. And then mm-hmm. we didn't even actually meet IRL until... I think a couple of months later when we met in LA. So we were working on this and starting to work on this remotely from the beginning, which is crazy to think about that for probably 80% of the life of multi, it's been remote. We haven't been in the same city, which is crazy. But yeah, that's how it all, all began. And that's how we all, I guess, came together to be in multi but I'm curious to know from you all like what what were the things that made you excited about building a startup in the wellness space I'm like is AJ gonna make me go first AJ always makes me go first (laughs) (laughs) it's tradition yeah (laughs) um I feel like for me with my background in content creating and influencing I've been doing it now for I think about the past like six years and just working with so many different brands and seeing how unrepresentative it has been and still continues to be. There are so many times where I feel like I'm the token Asian person or person of color. And it's hard to navigate because you one, want the job, you want to want to work with the brand, but also it's like, I kind of know that this is what you're doing and I need the money. And it's just hard because it's like in this wellness space, more so than even like fashion and beauty, I feel like wellness is so 
so, so white. And it has been that way for so long. And only now are we kind of starting to see a um, couple different brands like break through and try and change that, but like not even really, not in the way that Multi is trying to do it. And so it just really felt like there was this untapped potential and a real need for something like Multi. And I feel like that was really exciting for me always wanting to like build companies like that's what I was really passionate about is like okay how do we take this idea and like actually see it become something and this was going to be so much bigger than anything that I had ever worked on before and I was really excited about working with two brilliant people and seeing like what we could create together so for me that was like the initial excitement it felt like like I've never done anything like this before and this could be huge and so it was a lot of unknowns and I remember during that period of time before we all met in person we did so many zoom calls and we did so many meetings about like what our expectations and making sure we're all on the same page because these are three human beings coming together to create one baby. And there's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of expectations. And I remember that time very well because it was a lot of conversations. And I don't remember as like emotionally tolling because I think it was genuinely very interesting for me to have those conversations. But it wasn't something that we all took lightly. It was like, okay, do we see kind of the same vision for this baby? And are we going to be committed to it for how long? And like all of these things and trying to answer these questions to the best of our ability when we really don't have the answers, like we don't know the future. Like I I, I just think of some of the things we said at that time, we're like, when we want to launch and it's like all those things went out the window. <laughs> so much has changed in like a year, two years. I think that was like two years ago that we that we started talking. So yeah. yeah, that's that's a little bit about I guess why I got involved and kind of like what that felt like during that time. To give context, the first time I asked Nina, what are your boundaries around <laughs> oh uh, god <laughs> around building a bit? She's like, no, I don't think I have any. Or yeah, she was like, what are your boundaries? Like and I was like, I don't have any boundaries. And that tells <laughs> oh you that tells you everything <laughs> you need to know about how naive I was going into this and how excited I was about it. Cause I had just come out of my first year postpartum, literally so much energy to like do something, get out of the house. And I at that point, what I didn't operate with any boundaries. And I've grown so much in the last two years. And multi was like a big catalyst for that in helping me create better work-life boundaries. But at that point, I was like, like, I want to work. I want to create things and I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I put my toddler to sleep and I'm staying up until like 4 a.m. to do it. Like I I, I really had no boundaries. It was very bad. <laughs> I think also what Mal did like really well, especially, and she still does it now, is triple check in. Like if she asks you about how you feel about something, she's like, okay, but are you sure? Like I remember at the very beginning, we had a lot of conversations about like, okay, well, you know, startups take time and effort and energy and work. And even when we were having those initial conversations, we would all be like, yeah, you know, it sounds good because it does sound good. <laughs> but then it became more apparent over time. Like, oh, you know, that makes sense why Mal asked a hundred times. Are you sure? Like, think about it. <laughs> Mal wouldn't accept a yes immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, give it a few days and then tell me again if it's still yes. And, and I, I feel like I still really great. Yeah. Honestly, exactly. I think you're the first person to have ever really done that in my life because I remember you being like, okay, like, are you sure? Like, you don't have to give it a yes. And I was like, that's really interesting because most people want an answer right then and there. And 
it just goes to show how much you care about, I mean, us trying to be as <laughs> introspective as we can about something we don't know the future mm. about. But yeah, it really goes to show how much you care about us. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I do. I do. Hearts. In hearts. The, in the video. <laughs> Our millennial uh, hearts. Like, yeah. Sorry. We have to answer the question though. <laughs> I guess uh, I never actually answered the question, but I, I think for me, my motives were a lot less about my story and more so about my interests. So of course, I have my own ailments that would be remedied by paying better close attention to my wellness, just like everyone has. I think for me, the most thing that drove me was this is my chance to have a sandbox and just create really cool things. The other half of my business life is for developing products for others. And this was kind of my chance to take literally all the scientific preferences that come from multi are just ones that I was like, can we do this? Because this is how I feel. <laughs> so this is like my chance to do so. And I, I still get to and it's really rewarding. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't even touch on really why I wanted to work in wellness or like build something in wellness, but definitely echoes, I think both of you, I had worked in coincidentally, which now I'm like, oh shit, everything is meant to be, is that when I was like 18 to 19-ish or maybe even into 20, I was working in a supplement shop. It was like a mom pa supplement shop. So every day I was told to learn about these things, learn about what these did. I interacted with customers. I found out what they came in for, all these kinds of things. And that's when I started my own supplement journey because naturally being in those spaces, I started to use them myself. And at the time too, I was just going through a lot of stressors from just like mental health things. And then also from going to school and working like four jobs while going to school, things like that, that just burned me out. And then as I got into my mid twenties and was working in corporate jobs, really burnt me the F out. And so wellness naturally became such a huge part of my life. Similarly to what both of you all are saying I wanted to be able to create products. And then I also wanted to build a wellness brand that felt like it spoke to more than just what the industry looks like right now, which is white, which is thin, which is cis, which is hetero. Like it is green juice and yoga. That is what you think of when you think of wellness. And I'm like, I like those things. I like yoga. I like green juice. I do. However, that's not what it looks like every day. And so building something that felt like it actually included people like us was something that was really, really important to me. And so that's why I got into this. And naturally, having been spending so much time with Nina, I just like loved her energy and also her creativity and what it is that she was creating at the time and even now. But we just connected very deeply and got really close, like really, really quickly, especially as we started to talk about life and what we wanted out of life. And then with AJ, it, AJ is like a genius, quite literally. You are brilliant. <laughs> And oh my, you, thank you. <laughs> you are. And also just values wise, again, like we just aligned in the ways that we wanted to change spaces that we occupied. And I think that that was just something that I saw in both of you. And I was like, okay, this is, this is really cool. And I'm so excited that we get to work on this. That's how we all got started on this. And I think we've already kind of answered this question, but what did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> I expected it to be a roller coaster, true. Yeah. Just because, like, I've seen product development, like, at least on that side, and, like, mm. you know, stuff like that. 
I feel like I know that that never goes smoothly. So when we were wanting to launch like two seconds later, I was like, oh, we can't try. But I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really expecting it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But we did try, and we'll get into what, what happened when we tried. But exactly, no one can say we didn't try. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no one can say we didn't try for sure. But we'll get into why everything <laughs> happens for a reason, and I truly, yes. truly stand by that. But what about you, Neens? I expected, <laughs> I expected it to be a roller coaster. I am the type of person that likes change all the time, and I like experiencing new things, learning new things. So I was like, "This is perfect for me. Like, I can do this. It's nothing I've done before, but I can do this." And I think that the one thing that I really, really, really underestimated is the phase of life that I was in. And I think what took me so long to realize is that I had already started family building. I was already the sole provider for my family. I didn't think that those things would have as big of an impact as they did on me navigating this new experience with multi. And in the beginning, it was it was really difficult to juggle, but I was able to juggle it and I found that very rewarding. And then as the roller coaster got more and more intense, I really had to sit down and think, and we'll get into more of this later, but I really had to sit down and think like, okay, this is not what I expected. And are you okay with adjusting to to, you know, these new expectations or like it not fitting this expectation or do you have to readjust? And so I went into it eyes wide open. I was so excited and I don't have any regrets. I I feel like I expected it to be crazy and it was crazy and it was like, it just has been like such an incredible experience, but there's nothing that we could have known that would have happened. So I think it's like, I expected chaos and we got chaos. And any other specifics, like, it's just, it's so unpredictable. Like, you can't predict it. So it was just excitement. I'm like, (laughs) business tip number one, everything is unpredictable, no matter how much you will try to safeguard yourself from definitely unpredictability. You will never be able to know exactly how things are going to happen, no matter how hard you try to pre-plan everything. Yeah. (laughs) I think we tried in the beginning, we tried really hard to like plan things. And I think that gave me being a Virgo, like a sense of security almost. And then Mm -hmm. as time progressed, it was like, okay, like so much of this is out of our hands. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like a big, 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 big learning curve for sure. Also for anyone out there listening and curious, it was a Virgo and Aquarius and a Pisces who walked into the room, (laughs) who walked walked into the bar and started chatting. (laughs) Well, let's let's touch on getting started and actually creating a brand because I feel like that's something that a lot of people, when they're thinking of, hey, I want to start a business or I want to embark on a startup, like where do you even start? When I think back to it, I feel like where we started was obviously name. I feel like the name is pretty essential. And the name is shout outs to Nina because that came via text. I saw the screenshots of the text. Name. So many frantic suggestions. So many, so many, <laughs> so many questionable options that I'm very glad we did not go. With. I don't even think there was a second. I don't even think there no. was a front runner aside from multi. But that no. was it. Was decided via text. But um, when we got started, the first things that we started off with was the branding. So logo, branding, colors, and that. Even still, I mean, we just did a rebrand. That stuff is and was in flux. And so we got a friend of mine to design the logo. 
which they had originally designed the stunt logo, which we loved. So we tried to keep something similar to that. But a friend of mine designed the logo. I ended up tweaking it a little bit. We ended up deciding colors. Colors is something that even... Deciding colors is loose because we we yeah. started with like 20 <laughs> colors. Yeah, we had about 20 colors on remember, board. specifically remember a conversation that we all had in the car. And I still have the recording of us spending an hour trying to figure out the color palette for the patches. Yes. <laughs> I remember standing in the room in LA of the Airbnb. And I don't know why we were standing in the extra... in your room, Nina, yours and Dayon's and Blue's. <laughs> and then we were standing there and then we were like, what kind of purple? And then we were asking AJ, what kind of purple do you like? And then you were <laughs> telling us what kind of purple that you liked. And there was like a poster on the wall and you're like, kind of like that. And so I don't know why that's like so vivid to me, but even then <laughs> we were talking about colors and it took so long to like finalize what it was that we wanted because the 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 battle in that conversation I think was do we want multi to feel soft or bold and it was definitely bold and so that's why you will yeah. see in the the identity of multi the colors are very bold because we were like no it's somebody who is unapologetic it is somebody who is bold so that was a little bit a very small snippet of <laughs> the branding and the colors. And eventually we did do a rebrand. We'll touch on that later. But that happened. And then the messaging, which <laughs> even to this day, <laughs> I feel like we still, you know, tinker with, we still play with, we still are learning what feels right. Even since the beginning until now, it's changed so much. I think the only things that have kept up with the initial messaging was the idea of wellness is internal and external and that we're connecting <laughs> the dots between internal and external health. I feel like there's so that much and that the goes name. in that yeah. and the name. <laughs> <laughs> we have consistency with the name. Even the logo hasn't stayed. Yeah, even <laughs> the logo hasn't stayed. But I feel like with the messaging, it was just so much so about how do we want multi to feel and what do you want to feel when you see and read multi things? The thing I think that has stayed consistent is sort of this more casual voice. Like we are never wanting to be too like sterile or too stuffy or, or intimidating. We always want to merge the science and knowledge with approachability and friendliness because everyone should be able to access knowledge. And that's how we feel about the brand. That was the messaging and I feel like that's something that will forever be in flux and forever be developing. I feel like something that listeners need to understand is we spent so many meetings talking about these things. Like we talk about it now, like it was like, oh, like it was like a conversation here. Like it was not like all of these things do matter in like building the brand. And we couldn't really move forward if we didn't have the color, the logo, like general motifs and the messaging. So mm -hmm. it was really pressing but it's also difficult because these things do take time to simmer and really figure out like who we are what we are yeah it was a lot of a lot of energy went into those conversations and time and even even the messaging informing products because even now we've only i feel like just recently really solidified our messaging in regards to our product formulation which we'll talk about later but it makes me really excited cuz it's it's messaging that is carrying the remainder of our product pipeline. And we'll, we'll say biomimicry, shout out to biomimicry, because that's one of our core, mm. 
formulate that is our formulation philosophy but expressing that just shows how much even the messaging carries through to the literal product that you are then formulating and i don't know for you aj how how that process was in the beginning having to formulate without solidified messaging or like without it was solidified. hard there you <laughs> it go it was really hard <laughs> <laughs> because out of a brand it's it is so much you know it is a full experience. It is the messaging, it is the visual, but it's also the product. And it's also just like how you feel when you read the things, when you see the things, all of that. So creating multi as a brand, those were like some of the first steps were just the branding and the messaging. And then it took us into product. So when we were already talking to AJ, we had already been thinking about a pimple patch. And the reasoning behind that was multifold oh that you used our name that was that was not <laughs> intentional but it's, it's a multifaceted product but at the time I was just researching product price points because they're in like I had mentioned earlier the reality of a business you have to be able to be profitable and also the reality of a business if you don't come from extensive wealth or you don't have a lot of money to tap into is that you need to be able to build a product that is affordable for you to be able to buy the inventory for. And so in looking at products and trying to figure out what we were going to do, we really loved the idea of tapping into the things that people feel potentially insecure about and showing people that you don't have to. And I really always have loved pimple patches because I've struggled with acne basically my entire life since I was a teenager. And it's something that I have had shame around since then. And now seeing this new generation come into life and be like, I don't care, pimples are hot. That was something that I really, really loved and aligned with. So I went into researching pimple patch price points and FYI to everybody listening out there, pimple patches are not expensive to create. They're actually very, very affordable unless you are customizing. So we actually did end up customizing fully our patch. However, if you're starting from a baseline, from a template, from a stock item, they're really, really cheap. And so there was that aspect around it of, okay, this is a product that we can start with without having too much upfront capital. And then there was also the idea of marketability. So if we were going to create a pimple patch, we were going to create one that was visible. It wasn't something that you're trying to hide. It wasn't something you were trying to cover up. It was something that you were unapologetic about. As we said, the multi customer is an unapologetic one. So then we were like, okay, it's going to be something that will be a shape or a design or something. With that, there is also a marketability aspect in which it gives your brand visibility. It's something where people will take selfies. It's something that people will want to take pictures of, something that people will want to share, something that when you see someone wearing it, they're going to be like, oh, what's that? So there were multiple reasons for why we ended up choosing that as our first product, but those were the main reasons. So then we started with the pimple patch. So that's like the pimple patch. And then we like had all these conversations about what color it should be, what it should look like and all these things. And I remember in the very, very early days, we would have these conversations where we're like, what if it was like a tape dispenser? What if it was like, like we had all these crazy ideas and me not knowing cost of anything and just being a very like ideas person. I remember coming up with so many ideas I was so excited about, but it just like 
is not at all practical to do when you have no capital like us. <laughs> like we didn't have investments yet or anything. So it's like, you can't just create like this incredible idea that you think is going to disrupt the whole industry. It has to be something that like is a material that makes sense. We ended up doing something custom. So that's pretty cool. I think it's just the material made it not as expensive as like some of the other ideas we had, but we had some pretty crazy ideas in the beginning, like how to I'm package. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we still do. We still do. But it's like in the beginning, it was like, okay, like, can we do this? And it was like, absolutely not. So yeah. it was a learning process, at least for me to like tone it back, be realistic. And the packaging part too, because we we knew we could just put it in like a paper box and then you can just keep it mm-hmm. as that. But there was the idea too of having it be a full ass experience. And I think that's a big part of everything we do. I mean, it is one of our core core pillars is design forward. We want for everything mm-hmm. and the experience of everything around multi to be an experience. It is the experience, something that you remember and something you feel something from. And so when we started talking about the case, then yeah, like Nina said, we went through so many different versions of like what it could be, what would be practical, what would be marketable in a sense of something that you want to be displayed. What would people take photos of and want to share? What was unique? And so then we started designing a whole bunch of things and then came the idea of like, okay, what if we make something like curvy because our our logo is curvy? And then I remember I had clay at home and I just started forming shapes with the clay and like seeing, okay, what would a shape potentially be? And the inspiration for anyone out there listening who's curious, inspiration for the case were a lot of art pieces. I really love Alvar Alto, like vases and stuff like that. And so it's just really Mm. like this liquidy, curvy kind of inspiration. And then also curves in the body, just curves you see in nature. So it was really like natural inspired. And then I started forming things together. And then I formed this thing out of clay. And I remember taking measurements just of potentially what it could be like. And then also, then it kind of just naturally transformed into this ergonomic thing where I was like, okay, this actually, it fits nicely in the palm of my hand. So then I remember taking photos of it, tracing it out on paper, sending it to the group, and being like, I don't know, what do you guys think? And it's then, actually very impressive that that first thing that you formed is exactly yeah, what it's the case exactly. Is. It's not like, oh, Mal did like a bunch of like five different shapes and was like, which one? She did one. And she sent it and we're like, beautiful, (laughs) perfect. (laughs) But yeah, it was just that. And that's how we created it. But then came the the hurdle of being like, how the fuck do we even manufacture this? Because it's hard to find a manufacturer can do custom and we wanted to make it custom aluminum. So then full transparency, we searched on Alibaba for manufacturer. That's where we started. And that's where we got our first manufacturer for the cases. And it's just an easy place to go to try and find somebody to produce something that you want. You can't search pimple patch case. Like that's just not something that is yeah. <laughs> on. We had to think like, really out of the box in terms of yeah. like, because I remember one of the first cases we wanted to do was kind of like a cigarette style box. Mm-hmm. And even coming up with that took a really long time because we we're like, what makes sense for you to put on your thing? And it protects it from water. It'll stay closed in your bag and it's easy to open it makes sense like it was not easy coming up with like the best way to 
package this. And we had mm-hmm. so many Pinterest boards yeah. of like different cosmetic cases because yeah, like a pimple patch case does not really exist. And you besides like the Starface like, one. Yeah. And you can't search pimple patch case manufacturer. Like nothing yeah. is going to yeah. come up for that. <laughs> so we ended up going <laughs> with somebody who manufactures perfume, like metal cases. I don't know if anyone's ever used those like bomb perfumes. So if you think of like Glossier's, um, they they have a bomb perfume like little mm-hmm. thing it's like shaped like a pebble like the solid so many- one yeah, the mm-hmm. solid one. And so we ended up going with a manufacturer that manufactures things similar to that because also we wanted to choose a material that could then potentially be recycled in the future. So we did a metal alloy case. And so the whole process in just like finding out how to do that was a guessing game because it isn't something that you can't Google search. Also, how do I find a manufacturer for a pimple patch case that is all metal and that is custom shape? That it just isn't something that you can I tried. Find. I tried to Google things like that. You, you can't Google anything as it as it relates to, I feel no. like, anything in this space. No. Yeah. I feel like you have to just ask, ask questions. I feel yeah. like that's the main thing is like you have to talk to people, ask questions, and if they can't give you what you want, be like, is there something you would recommend? someone else you would recommend Mm. thinking of things that are parallel to what it is that you're creating but maybe in a different space it wasn't that we searched pimple patch case we had to search something that looked like what we were creating and then finding that manufacturer and then asking can you build this with these specs so it is like a whole i guess process of trying to just problem solve basically and trying to think of solutions to things that you can't find but that was the whole journey with the case I mean, the packaging and stuff, that was much easier because paper manufacturers, like those come in an abundant way. But that was that whole part. So it took a while to even get there. <laughs> and then when it came to our first product, which we'll touch a lot more on on the evolution of that product, but our next product that we ended up formulating, or not we, AJ, was a serum. She went into that process. And how was that, AJ? <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we wanted to make something for the face. We already had the pimple patch, but we wanted to have a moisturizer because as far as, I guess, cosmetics go and more skincare things, we knew that we didn't want to just be seen as a skincare brand. And that's still something that we really try and emphasize as well. At first, though, we were kind of contemplating a serum. I think the reason why we held on to the serum for so long is because I wasn't necessarily yet in like the space of, okay, I, I need to control what the product development like looks like in this, in this business. It was more so I know Nina now wanted a serum and I was like, okay, we can try and make a serum. But there are so many things going on that weren't necessarily solidified, like our messaging. Do we like no-no lists that like brands have? Do we want free from claims? So we were really throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck. And I think something that folks and especially consumers don't always consider is that serums are mainly used for more targeted specific concerns. So, you know, hyperpigmentation, um, breakouts, all of those things, but they don't necessarily always provide moisturization. And what I kept hearing from Nina and Mal was, you know, it feels nice, but I think I want it to be more moisturizing. And I was like, then why don't we just make a moisturizer? Because <laughs> the serum is just going to be a serum. And I also feel like there's so much noise in the serum space, I guess, because a lot of the things that we want are things that there are solutions for them already. And not to say that there aren't moisturizers out there, but I found that 
if we wanted both hydration and moisturization, then we would definitely need a moisturizer. So we scrapped the serum concept and we went straight to moisturizer. The, the question I think that came up a lot was what story do we want this moisturizer to tell, right? And that story can only be told if we knew more about our scientific philosophy. So we spent quite some time etching that out, really trying to solidify what kind of scientific positioning do we want to take? That positioning ended up being, okay, we don't want to know list because we want to make sure that we're multifunctional. And just frankly, I don't believe in that. <laughs> um, at least me as like a consumer. I don't really think that it's necessary because I find that it does limit you from a lot of innovation that you could be inputting into the product. So we decided, okay, no, no list, but then what is our formulation philosophy? So that's something that we took a really long time, really, really carefully parsing out what we want that to look like. We found that our formulation philosophy is that there's some sort of biotechnology ingredient. And I find that when it comes to wellness, we should be harnessing the power of what our bodies already create and do and putting them in a bottle or in a tube. And that's where biomimicry just kind of came to the forefront of our scientific philosophy here at Multi because ultimately I decided, okay, if we're going to make wellness products, then they need to be inspired by the body. So that became one of our pillars. Design forward is another one because that really, you know, represents all of Mao's sort of design experience and what we want this brand to look like and feel like. And then of course, sensorial, like we want you to feel good and feel good was kind of a big sort of message point that we had at first. <laughs> How have we um, not said that yet? Okay. Everyone needs to say, does everyone remember our, our initial, like multi is creating? <laughs> I don't. This is giving I don't me remember. Jeopardy flashback. Don't. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> I remember it. I remember it. But, you know, with all of that kind of coming together, it, it just turned into the moisturizer that we have today. And I think what really helped us get there was understanding what do we want our consumers to know about our products, to feel about our products, and what is the through line that we want for all of our products. And, and we just kept coming back to biomimicry. And I will add to that because a big part of what we do in formulation is being informed by our consumer. So even early on, mm -hmm. we started doing early surveys with them and even what they expressed that they wanted was hydration and moisturization. Like it was the top, top request. Aside from acne, which we were like, we got that covered. But aside from acne, that was like a huge thing. And I feel like it's such a big part of product dev that informs the product dev is speaking to our customer. And I, and I honestly recommend that for anyone wanting to start a brand that is a topical or ingestible sort of product company. Definitely ask your consumers what they want. We found that it made it so much easier <laughs> when we just asked them and brought them into the process. And then it sped up the process a lot further. And now our moisturizer is almost here. It's super exciting. It only really took like three iterations from the beginning of being like, we want a moisturizer. And that just goes to show that if you don't have your backstory straight, your product isn't necessarily going to get there either. We went through mm -hmm. so many iterations of the serum. I, I think now I'm like, why did... I slash we want a serum. It was also an accessibility thing because we were like, what's the cheapest thing also mm. to potentially mm -hmm. manufacture? And I remember having a conversation with AJ and being like, what's the easiest thing to formulate? Mm. If we wanted to get started quickly, mm. like what would be the easiest thing to formulate and something that people would generally want to use and what's something that we used ourselves too. But even thinking about it, like I don't really use many serums unless it's like supporting a friend's brand, I'll like buy it and use it. Realistically for me, it's moisturizer, 
tretinoin sunscreen that's and like a moisturizer you can get serum benefits and then also include the hydration that you get so i was like Mm -hmm. we should definitely make a moisturizer Mm -hmm. and shout out to this moisturizer because you all don't know what you're missing (laughs) (laughs) as someone that receives a lot of products it is very 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 top notch like i think i was surprised once we went through this process because before this i'm like oh my god skincare it's like this whole you know like every product is so different like every product targets different things and then going through this process and hearing aj speak and how intentional you are with every single ingredient that goes into the product is one so inspiring but also like it makes you kind of realize when you're looking at other moisturizers or other products like oh like did they think about everything that went into this no no they don't and so like i'm i'm using our moisturizer and unbiased i mean it's biased obviously but like unbiasedly like it's like it is a great moisturizer and it (laughs) to other ones on the market that are being sold at Sephora at whatever and I mean I'm a big I love Korean skincare so I feel like it really really holds up well I feel like with Korean skincare which like I think is also kind of a big inspo for us because they're so innovative but it's really it's awesome it's amazing we'll probably touch more in depth about the formulation of liquid skin but it is quite literally your skin in a bottle and also the little things about the formulation. When AJ was formulating, she wanted to make sure to include little nods to us. So I'm really into mushroom. <laughs> I included a mushroom in there. Her family cultivates shea butter. And so there's shea butter in there. There's just like little things that connect us. And it's also. blue. <laughs> and it's blue for blue, baby blue. Yeah, there are these like little nods of intentionality in the formulation, which people don't know. Like, and people, rarely I feel reading ingredients list but there is such deeper meaning to how that formula came together so shout out AJ and her genius Aww. and I say not a lot of other brands are that intentional except for the brands that are uh formulated by Sula Labs so go check those out <laughs> lol I think this episode is sponsored by Sula Labs <laughs> I really think it goes to show, though, the importance of having scientists on your team internally. Mm. Like internally, it is very important because at the end of the day, you're going to get your formula from a contract manufacturer, if not, which obviously there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think not only it saves a lot of cost, but it also just really gets you to your destination a lot more intentionally and a lot easier, I would say. So if you don't already have that, I would consider it. And if you don't and have it, I mean, I know where you can find it. Sula <laughs> <laughs> <Zula> Labs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that is something that, to be honest with whoever's listening and whoever does want to potentially start like a skincare brand or a wellness brand that does make skincare products, we are very blessed and lucky to have somebody on our team who can formulate. So the process of going through that is a lot easier for us than it would probably be for other brands because we have someone in-house who also just knows all the things behind the product. So it is really effective, like AJ said, and it shows the importance of having someone on your team who speaks to that side of things. So yeah, we are very, very lucky, I will say. Um, (laughs) I'm lucky too. Outside of that stuff, in terms of starting the brand, aside from the branding and aside from the products and just getting started with those things, I mean, I guess just to give like a a little quick summary in terms of the formulation process that we had to go through is that we 
we communicated with the formulator, aka AJ, and went through multiple iterations where we tested our product. When we got to the final iterations of Liquid Skin, which we'll touch on that whole process later on, we ended up testing with our community and just getting a lot of feedback and iterating from there. But it does take a few tries to get to the thing that you want. For some brands, it takes like many, many tries to get what they want. But for us, um, it just took a few, which was really amazing. And aside from that, the product and the branding, the business stuff, I guess to touch on that stuff, which is stuff that I feel like is really difficult to find information on, but all of the administrative Ooh. things and the the logistical things. Speaking personally, I had experience in a mid-stage startup. And so with that, I had some experience in terms of what it was like to scale something at a massive size. However, in terms of the logistics of starting something, I mean, I knew how to register a business. I have a business here in Canada. Like I knew how to go through all of that stuff. But when it came to a US corp and doing that and doing that for a a CPG company, that was stuff that I definitely had to ask around and see. And so for anyone wanting to do that. Can I just say you made it look so easy? Because when I have to do all this stuff, like I've been fighting for my life to figure out insurance stuff at um, for the last like 48 hours. But you made it look so easy. Like, yeah, but like okay, guys, Sula... I need your signatures. <laughs> but Sula is like, Sula is insurance intensive because you are dealing with a oh, lot of, yeah. a lot more collateral in your actual space. So that makes sense. Don't get me started. But... <laughs> But in terms of registering everything, like that is stuff that I honestly, how I found out was asking people in Google, like those were my biggest resources in terms of how to do these things. I remember seeing a couple of YouTube channels actually where they talked mostly just about the startup process. And I'll try and find those links and share them in the show notes because I felt like they were really effective and really good at breaking down that info. But that info is so gatekept or like I don't, people just don't want to make it look easy or feel easy. It's so weird. Yeah, it's, it's so really weird. weird. Basically, we had to start with incorporating. So we incorporated as a Delaware C-Corp. Once we did that, we had our founders agreement, which we had put together, which honestly we were iterating all throughout a lot of time and passed after we had incorporated when we had actually got our founders agreements together. But we had done that. And then it came to the part of needing money to do all the things. (laughs) This very, very, very important aspect of the business. (laughs) Which even incorporating, you need money. You need at least, if you're doing it on your own and doing it online via a platform like Clerky or something, it's 700 bucks minimum. And if not up to a couple grand, if you're doing it through lawyers. So to even start, you need money. And then to make money, you need to also have money because as we talked about, there's inventory, there's marketing. Luckily, as I have said, we are very blessed that we have a lot of things that we can do in-house. So we started a lot of the design stuff in-house. We did the formulation via AJ. Like there were a lot of things that were minimal cost, but to actually get started, you do need capital. And so as we were going into this, we had talked from the beginning about being a startup. And we really distinguished between small business and startup, which I know some startups call themselves small businesses, but I feel like they're very different in my own mind. Mm -hmm. So we knew we wanted to be a startup. We knew we wanted to raise funds. We knew we wanted to heavily scale and grow. And we knew we wanted to grow towards a liquidity event. And I feel like some people aren't as 
I don't know why I said that like I'm targeting someone, but I'm definitely <laughs> some people. <laughs> some people. <laughs> I'm not thinking of anyone in particular when I say that. But I feel like some people it don't like to be <laughs> true. Those, no, there is spill no it, Mel, spill that. it. <laughs> there is me. But I'm sure there will be something later, but not not behind that. But I feel like some businesses aren't as transparent with being like, no, I want this to be huge. That's something that we've always thought in conceptualizing the business, in starting the business. We were like, we want this to grow. We want this to grow really big. We want this to scale. And we will eventually want to look towards a liquidity event, ideally an acquisition. And so for anyone who doesn't know one, what liquidity means is going towards either an acquisition or going on to the stock exchange. And when that happens, anyone who owns a piece of your business will get a monetary kickback from whatever their equity is. So whatever your equity is in the business, you will get paid out for it. And so that is why so many people get investors into their business. So one, they can grow. And then those investors invest in those businesses so they can get a return on that investment. This is something we knew from the beginning. I don't know if either of you had ever thought of being in a startup or starting a startup, but I am curious if either of you has. So I've never been a part of a startup. I would consider myself like more of a scrappy entrepreneur, which is why kind of like starting a business really like speaks to me. But I had never been a part of something that was as big as Mal was basically proposing like at the beginning of this. And I was very excited about that because, I mean, we talked about building generational wealth and we talked about how little access there is for people like us to be able to raise, to be able to sell a company and get a kickback. Like that's just like, I didn't know anybody that had done that. When I talked to my parents about it, they don't understand it. It's so foreign. And so a part of that was very intriguing for me, but it was also like, the deep end. I like had no idea what any of this entailed. And so for me personally, I just felt like I was learning so much and going through the motions of it. But it was all very overwhelming because this is all new information and something that isn't easily accessible and that we don't have access to our parents or parents' friends that like have done this before. So I think that was a little bit scary, but also exciting that like we we could do this and try and like get a stake of this. And there's so much money out there that it's like, why not us? Why not have an inclusive wellness brand be a part of this? And so I had no idea what to expect. And Mal was like, we're going to be raising money. And I was like, okay, that's like crazy. <laughs> and in the beginning, it was all self-funded. It was mostly Mal that was funding it and then me pitching in every now and then. But it's, it really- <laughs> I <have> shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we really didn't have like, like we didn't have family money. We didn't have like, it was just mm -hmm. our own money. And in the beginning, I felt secure in that um, because I did have a bit of a cushion that I had built up. But then as we'll get into later, like it got very, very, very expensive. And I saw why we would need to do it. Like it would only be possible if we fundraised because none of us had the resources or like friends and family that had like so much money that they could just like give that to us. And we start with that. This kind of felt like our only route to do what we wanted to do. And we were dreaming so big that it was like, we we kind of have to fundraise. And also we don't have to do it the way that other people do where it's the same 
you know, like white man that makes all the money back at the end. We really were very intentional in the beginning about thinking about who do we want this money to go back to? And that's kind of how like the access round was born. And we spent so much time deliberating on what does that look like? Like, how do we build generational wealth, not just for ourselves, but for our communities? And people say that people say that they give back, but it's like, what does that actually mean? And how do we create that space? So at every aspect of this company, I feel like that you guys are probably catching on, like, we really tried to be intentional about every single aspect of what we were trying to build. And the finances, as unsexy as it is, and as stressful as it is, is another aspect of that, where we were like, how do we disrupt this? How did you feel about that, AJ? So I I always look back on this and kind of laugh because... So at the time, I was 21. Mal, I think, was 30. And Nina was 26. I had just graduated from college like a year before that. And (laughs) yeah, I didn't know anything about like acquisitions and money and anything. So when Mal and Nina would talk about like our eventual like acquisition goals and stuff, I was kind of like, okay, like, yeah, Lori's million, whatever. (laughs) Like I, I, that's not money that I've ever thought about. And I feel like I was so oblivious to the fact that like Mal even asked me one day, like, do you actually think we're going to reach these goals? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) but like, you know, to me, it's, it's like, so out of my hands. I don't even know what that looks like. So I mean, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> um, but now as we got through our friends and family, like all of that stuff, grazing, it, it just makes so much more sense to me. But at the time, I just had no idea what any of that meant. I'm, I had never even considered what an investor was before. And that's also why I've, I literally had nothing to give <laughs> when it came to when we were raising our friends and family around. Because, you know, how do I communicate those things? My family, what am I going to ask them for? My friends were like 21 also. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like, it was so inaccessible to me at the time. And still is in many ways now. But a lot more clearer to me now. Yeah. And I feel like that's the sad part or like, yeah, it is sad. It is definitely sad that a lot of our communities don't know about these things. So the only reason why I knew about the startup world was because in New York, I had friends who had partners who had sold businesses. And when I first heard about that, they're like, oh, I sold my business for x millions of dollars and i'm like what one you sold your business first of all like okay but then what does that look like what does that mean and who's buying so, these businesses <laughs> yeah like who, who's out there that has 100 mil yeah. to just like be like hey let me i want your business kind of thing and so that's when i was really curious about those things because i was just like is this how the white man is so rich like is this how it works they keep saying and rich yeah, and they keep saying rich. They just keep recycling the same it. like three million dollars. Literally, yeah. literally, like, and they like actually. support each other's companies, mm-hmm. and so then you're just making kickbacks off of each other forever yeah, until you build your exactly. wealth. And you, Which you look at it, yeah, exactly. And you look at it, and it's kind of like this nepotism circle where it's just these core rich people who are pouring more money into each other and getting more rich, and. When I started seeing that, I was like, interesting. And then I started doing more research into the startup space and being like, okay, how does this actually work? What does this look like? What does that actually mean when someone buys your business? Because I was like, okay, someone bought your business. Okay, is that a hundred million dollar check yours then? Or like, what does that, what does that look like? And then I started learning about the investor space and things like that. And so like we've all already said in some way, shape or form, none of us came from generational wealth. We came from humble beginnings. We 
didn't come from families who had humble happenings you know, still. <laughs> yeah, literally still. Li- I, I remember <laughs> I saw this tweet the other day, which was talking about the disparity between wealth and how you can really see it in the groups of people where some groups of people, their biggest concern is being able to pay for their parents' lives, like wanting to retire their parents or wanting to just pay back their parents for their sacrifice. And then there's this other subset of people whose parents provide for them and who invest in them. And I felt like that was such an interesting visual to think about or an interesting concept to think about because it's true. Like we all came from families where we want to be able to retire our parents, where we don't want our parents to work anymore, where we want to pay their rent or their mortgage versus the other way around where we can ask our parents for a 100K check to invest in our business. That's just not where we come from. Yeah. And so building generational wealth is such a huge core of what we do. And we feel like through building businesses like these and bringing them to places and heights where we can eventually sell them or go through other types of liquidity events, through that we can access wealth. And a goal of all of ours, I know, which is mutual, is to be able to literally just invest in our communities, invest in our friends, help our friends win. (laughs) Is it too much to ask? (laughs) I know. Is it too much to ask? Is it to be able to be like, my friend wants to make a film, like I can give them the seed funding of 50K with no consequence to me. Like that's all we want to be able to do at the end of the day or to retire our parents, all of those things. And so going into the startup space, that was a huge, huge core of, I guess, a motivator for us and why we wanted to do it. Anyway, to go back to the fundraising part, we all knew we wanted to fundraise. We all knew that that was going to be difficult. And I did not know how that was going to happen because I did not know what the process was. So hello, Google. Hello, YouTube. Hello, Reddit. And Quora. Those are like the <laughs> Quora. The key. Yeah, I don't know Quora. who's posting on Quora, but it, it does have relevant questions every now yeah. and then. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. And then they'll email you with more questions like it. <laughs> Literally, like the related on the bottom, (laughs) I would go into pools of just clicking those things. But I had no idea. So I ended up, we ended up getting a lawyer. We ended up asking the lawyer, okay, what's the process? Turns out we had to file a form D to then be able to fundraise. However, we also wanted to fundraise in a different way. And when you are fundraising from friends and family, the people you are fundraising from have to be friends or family and or they have to be accredited, which means they have to be making 250k annually, I believe, or have a, a million dollars in net worth or something like that. Mm-hmm. Net like worth um, assets. Yeah. I remember reading that and then the lawyer telling me that and I'm like, who do I know that's making 250k a year steadily and then also worth a million dollars. Very few people in my circles for now, for now, as we were talking as a team, it was like, how do we provide people from our communities with access to equity in our business? Because if you own equity in our business, eventually when we do go through a liquidity event, they're the ones who will get a return on the investment. So we thought about that, ended up doing some research, finding out that we could do crowdfunding via equity crowdfunding sites. So then we decided to open up what we now call our access round. The access round was a little portion of our friends and family that we equity crowdfund raised from solely low-income BIPOC. And that's something that 
I'm always going to be proud that we did and always going to be happy that we did because we, one, we were able to allocate equity to these folks who normally wouldn't have deal flow, who wouldn't know that these kinds of things are even happening. And also just in the end, we all win. And I think that's something that we've all just wanted to always encourage throughout the process of this. So we ended up running our access round. We ended up raising friends and family, which I don't know if any of you want to touch on it, but (laughs) was really hard to do because what people don't say is that raising from friends and family is so much more difficult than raising from investors because friends and family, you have direct relationships with them. And there's also this like emotional (laughs) tie to them and pressure also, because once you raise from them, now it's the pressure to build what it is that you're building to success because they are now attached to it. Whereas with investors, they have money. They just need to know where to allocate it, but they have it. So it's just a matter of finding the ones who believe in what you do. But how did you two feel about raising friends and family and having to have those conversations? It was very, I mean, I've talked about the learning curve with literally every single aspect that we've talked about, but this was a huge one, not only familiarizing yourself with our deck, but like a deck in general, like I'd never pitched a deck before, had to memorize what all these different numbers mean. And like, like what AJ was saying earlier, where these numbers feel so out of reach, like I'm trying to pitch you and get you to understand this number, but I barely understand this number and how we got there. As much as I believed in what we were doing, it was all so new to me and trying to convince somebody else that like, this is the right thing. And that like, this is you know, you have some income. And so like, this would be a good decision for you and a good decision for me. It was really difficult. And it was really challenging to, I guess, kind of assume or find people because you don't know how much money people have. And there are friends that have just gotten married or just had kids or are not in a place financially, but maybe they seem like they are. So it's like, you're just cold calling, reaching out to your friends, hoping that you're not ruining this relationship with them by like trying to pitch them this business thing. And it felt really awkward because there's a lot of times that I was just left unseen. And I was like, oh shit, did I like mess up that whole relationship? And I still don't know. (laughs) I still don't know because I'm awkward as hell. So I have not followed up because I'm like, I look at it and I'm like, our chat was me sending you a big paragraph. (laughs) So I don't, I don't know. I don't know where we stand. And it really, I had to step outside of that discomfort because of how much I believed in what we were doing. And that like this, I'm not trying to take advantage of people. And even though it feels like I am because I'm sending you this big paragraph, basically being like, invest money in me. We really saw it and it's, it is an opportunity for people, but because of how little information there is out there, like the people in my circle don't know that. So they're like, can I actually make money back from this? And so it was really challenging trying to like sift through and see who to even ask. And then once you have the call, then like being able to really thoroughly explain this to somebody and why it's a good decision for them. And you know, for them, it's also like, how do I say no to my friend? Because it's more money than I expected. And I didn't, I didn't want to invest a thousand dollars or whatever, where I don't have a thousand dollars to invest. And so it was, it was interesting navigating a lot of it. It was very stressful. I am very proud of like what we were able to do with Access Round. Cause I feel like, like AJ, like I also have a lot of friends that just like don't have that capital, like can't invest in the friends and family round. So to be able to be like, okay, I know I talked to you about this thing and you're interested, but you don't have the capital. Like here's something else that we have. Like, I think that was really cool to be able to do. And so that was really challenging though. I think doing friends and family was not easy. It was very, very stressful. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I feel like it yeah. was like the main things people didn't know even what the landscape of startup investing was like. So we did a lot of education around that and trying to frame and show people what it's like. Also, not even for the sake of just investing in us, but being like, hey, if you want to do this, it's going to take a lot and it's going to be a lot of hard work. However, if you're passionate about something and you want to build it, there is this potential to build to these heights. So I feel like there was just a lot of education to the people who we were even pitching to, to be like, this is a startup space and this is what happens when you invest in it. And then I feel like also the whole idea of just reaching out to people and being left on scene Mm -hmm. and just putting yourself out there to ask is just really, really scary, especially to people you know. And so anyone going through that, I talked to another founder the other day who was like, how was that? And I'm like, it's really hard. It's really hard on you, just on your soul, on your mental, because (laughs) you don't want to put that pressure on the friend to say yes. And I think that's why we preface a lot of our messages with, you know, you totally don't need to respond. And or if you're not interested, like I totally understand because we really genuinely do. We understand everyone is at a different place. And so I feel like we try to make the messages be like, hey, we're just throwing this out there to see if you're interested but also if you're not like it's totally fine and I hope it was a fine balance between like how many times do I say it's okay but also like please take a call with me (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and it was trying to find that too like just being like I get it but also at the same time if you don't know about it we would just like to tell you about it because it might excite you so it was just a very hard process I mean yeah it was hard it was that's literally it was hard (laughs) I didn't do much raising, literally for the same roadblock reasons. (laughs) (laughs) No, we did have some people come through for the access round. So that was really nice. I feel like people feel like, or they look from an external point of view and they're like, oh, well, you guys did that. And it's like, actually, we talked to probably like a hundred or reached out to, didn't talk to everyone because not everyone responded, but reached out to probably like a hundred it's emotionally very tolling yeah and then on top of that we're still trying to do the work yes exactly like all of this i think that what people need to understand is that all this is happening simultaneously every single Mm, chapter that we just talked about is all at the same time it was a lot and i feel like that's the thing that is always the case is that we talk about all these individual things so even in this episode we've talked about all the little things meeting we've talked about conceptualizing the business we talked about the branding the product dev the having to fundraise the admin stuff the legal stuff all of those things are all happening simultaneously it's not like okay we knock this one off the list it's check done yeah then we knock the next one off the list check done so that's something that you also have to realize is that everything is moving consistently and constantly at the same time and you just have to try to keep up which is crazy think about but also how it is so that is the very beginning and we're going to end it there because we still have another episode to get to and we have to record that (laughs) (laughs) but that is everything from the beginning from the conceptualization to how we met to getting to the first milestone of raising and we can touch on a little bit later too maybe how much in total we ended up raising because the whole raising thing extends way into our journey so that we'll share in a later episode however that's everything that we have for this episode today and we thought that 
we would share some key business learnings at the end of each episode. People can give us feedback if they like this or not, but we wanted to share some of the quick learnings that we did have from our experience of just the beginnings of starting multi. So here is our segment, key learnings. Wait, what are we even calling this? Key business learnings to touch on in this episode. That's not a good title. But KBL. <laughs> KBL. This is, this is the KBL segment. So these are the key learnings. Google, Reddit, and people, and Quora, as I shouted out. Quora, always check your sources, though. Those aren't like the, the most legit sources, but they're what <laughs> we had to yeah, grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. But they will be large sources of info because it does feel like, and if you feel like this, you're not alone, but it does feel like a lot of the info surrounding building a business, particularly a startup, is inaccessible. It feels like it's gatekept. It feels like it's hard to find. So we feel you. I really hope that there ends up being a resource in the future that is really accessible that shares all of this info. So there's that. When raising, it does take a toll on you mentally. So be sure to take care of yourself in the process and know that raising from friends and family is really, really hard and also feels harder than raising from anyone else because of the close relationships you hold with those people. You are not alone in feeling that way too. This is a more logistical one, but if you are going to be raising as a USA Corp, we, in our case, incorporated as a Delaware C Corp, you will have to file a Form D. If you are equity crowdfunding, which I actually didn't go into depth about this, but I'll touch on it briefly here. But if you are equity crowdfunding, it is not free. There will be fees associated with this process. So there is an accounting fee because you have to get together an assessment of your business from certified accountant. There is a percentage that the platform takes. Also, the process takes a long time, so you don't get access to the funds immediately. It actually takes four to eight weeks to get the money once you complete your round. So it does take a while. So if you are preparing to equity crowdfund, just be forewarned that it's not a smooth sailing process. And also, legal fees are expensive AF, really. So just be forewarned that you will be hit with a bunch of legal fees if you're doing any of this. And then developing a product is expensive and it is a long process. We were lucky enough to have somebody on our team, AJ, who was able to do a lot of the things that usually encompass the product development process, but not everyone has that. So that's something to also keep in mind. And I don't know if you two have any other key learnings to plug into here at the end. Take care of yourself because it's a, it's a wild ride. <laughs> And I would also say that if you are building this with another person, because Mal very well could have done this by herself, but if you do decide to bring on other people, then I highly recommend to do what we did where we had the extensive conversations, making sure you kind of see the same vision for your company, that you kind of want the same things out of it, that you have the same general kind of expectations and just really feel each other out because you don't really know people all that well. And I mean, we'll get into it more in the next episode, but there are so many emotions that like come into play with this and you don't know what people are like when money comes into play and when equity comes into play and you want to try to feel that out as best as you can in the beginning. Obviously, we can't know anything definitively. That's a key learning is that expect chaos. Anything can happen. But having those conversations to know who you're working with is really important because we've talked to lots of founders that have had really awful breakups with their co-founders or like just really, really 
hard times with those conversations. And this is a marriage. You're going to be working together to build a baby with these people. And that like, you should not take that lightly. So anyone that you involve at like a high, high, high level in your company, especially as a co-founder, really take the time to have those conversations and don't rush them. And just because someone's a friend doesn't mean that they might be the best person because that also gets messy. Friends in business sometimes are not always the best fit. So just make sure you're doing your due diligence because you don't want to regret that later. And be okay with being vulnerable in those conversations. Be real with yourself about what your expectations are and what you want out of this. And don't try to, I guess, bypass that stuff, especially early on trust we had hours and hours long conversations some that included tears some that included many that included tears but like we've had many many conversations even just in that first chapter of the business so (laughs) so yeah (laughs) so that is I feel like there wasn't that much tea spilled in that um episode we okay to to be honest it's not like none of this is tea we're not gonna be talking shit about people in the other episodes (laughs) I'm sorry if that's what you're expecting that's not what you're gonna get here we're talking shit about each other (laughs) yeah yes exactly that is chapter one of multi with us so stay tuned for next episode which we are calling calling mercury in the microwave that is something that came from the dot com so shout out to the dot com for giving us all these uh these little mercury and retrograde names but mercury in the microwave and dun 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 the breakup So stay tuned for next episode. Like and subscribe. Uh, Nina, you're the you're the one who's the I expert think- at this. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at my daily multi, and we would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever your podcast listening platform is. Give us feedback be nice (laughs) but we would love to know what you enjoyed about the podcast any suggestions and we'll see you next time bye 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 Bye. music plays out